Hello and welcome to Switch It. This is the week we've been waiting for, everybody. No, I'm not talking about freedom to catch COVID day, but the arrival of the 100, which is finally here to save cricket in the UK. Time to put down our placards, stop trolling the official Twitter account, and take our first proper look at the ECB's brand spanking Spankathon. I, for one, welcome our new 100 ball overlords. English cricket being English cricket, of course, uh, and never knowingly undersold on the fixtures front, there's still an international T20 series ongoing, and we've got the exploits of Ben Stokes' expendables to look back on too, uh, after an eyebrow-raising 3-0 sweep of Pakistan in the ODIs by a squad of replacements. Uh, To get stuck into all that and more, I'm joined by two men who couldn't cock a snook at a crickety-flavoured concept if they tried. ESPN Crick Info's UK editor, Andrew Miller, and associate editor Matt Roller. Uh, how are we doing, uh, chaps? Uh, Miller, as someone who remembers the launch of the 2020 Cup like it was yesterday, how is the 100 looking by comparison? I'll tell you what, it's, it is 18 years to the actual day that the Tormit <laughs> Kitten played on, on the finals day of the original uh, 2020 Cup in, 20, in 2003. And that, that just get that, that just digressing that for a second. Because, <laughs> we, we couldn't find a better know, place to start, I think. <laughs> I mean, Atomic Kitten, there they were, front and centre, 2003. Probably, you know, they had a Zenith, five years Zenith from 1998 to 2003. So basically, that appearance killed their career. <laughs> but there they were on stage at the Box Park in Croydon during Euro 2020, belting out Southgate, you're going to make me feel whole again, bloody blah, football's coming home again. Suddenly capturing the zeitgeist of a moment that captures the actual nation. Cricket had Atomic Kitten in their hands 18 years ago, threw them out the window, and now what we got? We got, I mean, good luck to Jax Jones and co. But, you know, you're basically about to reinvent the wheel. Atomic Kitten were there on stage in the moment, and Cricket said, yeah, whatever, we're not interested in that. And likewise, bloody sweet Caroline. Yeah, you know, forget, 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 uh, you know, all the, all, the, all the japes about the DJs. I'm all for, all for innovation. But sweet Caroline has been the anthem of cricket's finals day for years. Suddenly, it becomes the anthem of England's glorious victory uh, in the semi-final at Wembley. Everyone thinks, oh my God, what an amazing song. Isn't it awesome? Great cracking single. Yeah, yeah, we knew that. It's pretty good. <laughs> a lot about cricket is actually pretty good. And, um, you know, it's, it's, all, it's, all, um, yeah, it's all up in the air now. We'll, we'll give it a go this, this, this month. I'm, I'm all for it. I want to succeed. But, but let's not forget, it's actually quite a good sport already. Well, I'm glad we've caught you in, in such a vibrant mood, uh, Miller. Uh, of course, Neil Diamond, I think, w- was uh, was spoken to about the sort of England football fans adopting Sweet Caroline. Presumably, the ECB had already nobbled him, uh, so he would make no mention of it being used at the blast uh, over the years. Um, <clears throat> Matt, you're you're the sort of attention uh, challenged Gen Zer that this competition is is being pitched at. Uh, <laughs> Tell us how excited you are uh, without recourse to emojis or gifts. Well, it's quite, it, it feels pretty surreal, to be honest, that the thing's actually starting. It's, you know, I, I can, I sort of loosely remember probably what five, coming up for five years ago now, the idea that the counties were voting on something important, looking towards a new T20 competition. And the idea that at the time this was pretty, pretty seismic. I think at the time people thought it might have come in a, a year or two later. And, you know, it, even uh, the past two years, I, I feel like I've been building up to the either a draft or a tournament or an event or a retention window or an overseas signing or availability crisis, et cetera, et cetera, um, for however long. So the fact that we're, you know, something like 48 hours away from 
uh, the start of this thing at the time of recording feel, feels pretty bizarre, really. Um, not least because uh, we still have a, a you know a deciding T20 international uh, between England men and Pakistan uh, tomorrow to to cope with the Old Trafford and. Uh, you know, I, I feel like the hundreds sort of suddenly sprung upon everyone in the middle of the summer and been lurking in the shadows for the best part of, you know, uh, five years now in some form or another, or at least the city-based T20 tournament was. And uh, suddenly here it is, and it's somehow managed to take all of us by a little bit of surprise, I think. <laughs> well, we're very glad you've been following all those um, announcements uh, and retentions and drafts, uh, Matt, because frankly, uh, the rest of us haven't. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, yeah, so cricket had atomic kitten and, and gave it away. That's that's the, uh, the, the, the first lesson of today's pod. Um, before we get into new teams, new rules and, and newfangled thinking, um, it's old news that England's men are pretty darn good at giving it a whack. Um, they have been cutting an eye-catching swathe through the middle part of the summer, nevertheless, um, and Matt's touched on it there, uh, victorious in nine out of ten limited overs internationals so far, um, with a final deciding T20i to come at Old Trafford on Tuesday. Uh, we'll, we'll perhaps start there, uh, an area where we're all more comfortable. Um, <clears throat> it's, I mean, it's not been entirely plain sailing. Uh, it's the last episode of the pod. We were trying to get our heads around the uh, late call-ups to a batch of, of county players uh, who, who might have thought their chance had gone. Um, a week later, they'd won all three ODIs, bowling out Pakistan for 141 in the first game and chasing 332 to seal the whitewash. Um, Miller, what happened there? <laughs> what happened was, <laughs> was an extraordinary display of white ball depth. It was absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you know, we, we, we've talked, talked a very good game about England's white ball prowess over the years, but, um, you know, it's, it's been six years, this, this revolution, uh, ever since uh, ever since Ollie Morgan grabbed the team by a scruff of the neck in 2015. But I think what we never quite realised, and we've always known it deep down, because we've, we've seen guys bubbling under who, who have clearly, you know, gone off to the, the, the big bash and the IPL to a lesser degree and, and have made a, made a splash. We, you know, we saw the, saw the, the run scorers in the last uh, big bash and, there's a recognition that you know it's not just the prime England players who are, who are nailing this, but the way that those players grabbed their opportunity and didn't just win, but won in the style that was exactly what Owen Morgan would have ordered back in 2015 when he wanted when he spoke to his original squad. And you know, Jason Roy goes out and gets the first four in his first first match in 2015. But you know what? Doesn't matter. That's fine. You you carry on going going for your going for your strokes. You're in. You're, you're in my good books for trying, essentially. And that, that's what we've ended up with. We ended up with a situation where, where Liam Livingston's able to slot in and make such a case that, you know, frankly, he's going to end up pushing out someone who's, who's, been, a, who's been a gun for years now. Uh, you've got Saki Mahmood, likewise, a guy who's been bubbling under for a couple of years and, and gets his opportunity and a real chance to, to show what he's got in, in, in the power play, in the middle, of the death. And frankly, he comes up with the goods and every time he's throwing the ball, um, even Lewis Gregory, who didn't get much of a chance to show what he was worth in those T20s in New Zealand, finally gets an opportunity over 50 overs where, you know, you've got more of a chance for the bit of ebb and flow and a bit of, bit of a chance to get, get, your, get your game up and running, if more than just a cameo. And lo and behold, he produces two exceptional performances with bat and ball. Um, it, it just goes to show that this, this white ball revolution wasn't just a, a surface level thing. It's an absolute game-wide ethos thing. Uh, and uh, it was remarkable to watch, and, and so much more compelling than watching England um, England's first first stringers beating up Sri Lanka 
with frankly similar score lines, but there was so much more excitement uh, about watching uh, a team of unknowns do do similar. It was, it was it was it was great fun to watch. Yeah, there was that that um, element of of the unknown and new stories and or, or uh, in some cases old stories, uh, um, but with with uh, new uh, twists. Uh, um, James Vince has been around for a long time, but um, that maiden international hundred was was quite something. Um, yeah, Lewis Gregory. 117 runs and, and four wickets in the series. John Simpson didn't do a didn't do a great deal, but he has that that um, leg side catch uh, to to keep forever in an England shirt. Um, it was a sort of odd squad in in many regards. Um, although players like Phil Salt and Brian Cast might well be on the the fringes of of selection for the next five six more more years um but particularly matt uh one player sort of stood out uh saki mahmood um who's kind of been a, a little bit um off the radar with england i mean he last played um i think it was last summer uh and didn't get used over the winter went away to the psl i mean you, you've spoken to him on or more more than one occasion but uh what a series he had yeah he he sort of set the tone straight away didn't he you know took took um took two wickets including Barbarazam, the number one ranked uh, ODI batter in the world, within his first three balls of the series, I think, uh, in Cardiff, which is, uh, uh, yeah, pretty pretty good start. <laughs> I think no one really knew what to expect on that first morning, whether or not it was going to be a real pasting. And I think quite a few people have predicted that Baba was really going to cash in during that series again. <laughs> what looked like a pretty second string attack, and you know he did eventually. But yeah, Mahmoud yeah. was, um, was remarkably, uh, you know, just polished. I think with the new ball because I think. This was almost, I think I probably expected Mahmoud to have a breakthrough summer last year when England were obviously playing split squads. I wasn't 100% sure which format it would be in, but I thought with that level of rest and rotation among the seamers, especially with workloads coming back from a long break, I thought he would have the opportunity to really, you know, pitch a case, all that sort of thing. Um, but he, he actually had a pretty poor year, I think, when he played. He, he got hit a couple of times by Pakistan in the T20s. Uh, he, he wasn't particularly convincing against Ireland when he got a game or two. I think he, he bowled poorly at the death in that uh, defeat when Balburnie and Sterling uh, made hundreds. Uh, and and he, he, it's worth remembering, actually, that for the South Africa series uh, in December, he was actually overlooked as a reserve for, I think, Jake Ball and Tom Helm, both of whom seem a long way behind where he is at the moment. Um, and yeah, you, you mentioned I've spoken to him a few times and he, he said, you know, he was actually pretty, pretty cheesed off about that. Um, and went to the PSL firstly for the, the playoffs. I think he only played one game in, in sort of November, December time last year and then went back at the start of this year, um, was the leading wicket taker halfway through, sort of was chatting to um, Sherv Akhtar, people like that, um, was, was getting good wickets as well, bowling fast, reversing the ball, um, all the things that, you know, you'd hope for from a young quick and all the things that you've sort of heard about um, Mahmood when he's been coming through county cricket. And yeah, it's been a, an incredibly convincing uh, set of performances, especially in that white ball series. I think he took nine wickets, ended as England's, uh, leading wicket taker, sorry, ODI series, I should say. And then he's actually followed it up fairly well, I think, in the T20 so far. Obviously, I think his economy rate for the series is a fraction under 10. But when you consider that, that there's been two extremely high scoring games, that's actually not a terrible return when you're bowling in the power play and at the death. Um, so, yeah, he's been, he's really grabbed an opportunity with both hands. Um, and I think, you know, the, the question now is, uh, what England are going to do with him next because I think there's definitely a lot of 
potential there for him to become a, a very good limited overs bowler. There's also a lot of potential for him to become a very good test bowler. I think he was reverse swinging the ball in that Roses match uh, not too long ago, uh, which Lancashire sort of won in dramatic fashion on the on the final day. Um, and yeah, I think it, it, it does seem actually like he's uh, he's benefited quite a lot from being on one of these ECB pace bowling contracts as well. I don't think it's worked quite necessarily quite as well for someone like Ollie Stone, who's obviously suffered quite a few injuries. Um, but Saqib seems to have, you know, he's, he said uh, last year that during lockdown, he found it really useful to have access to nutritionists, strength and conditioning coach, people he might have not had at Lancashire. Um, and he does seem to have bulked up. He's bowling in high 80s miles an hour. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a really good sort of feel good story, I think. And he wouldn't have got a chance um, but for freak circumstances. And, yeah, it's one of those sliding doors moments for him and a few others in the squads, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, of course, those uh, those positive COVID tests uh, a couple of weeks ago, which which sort of threw everything into into disarray. Um, and Miller, you touched on on kind of Whitehall um, prowess. Uh, England, uh, we've we've talked a lot about kind of uh, the change of culture, and and it's in sharp contrast to the the, the woes of the Test team. But um, with a, a two T Twenty World Cups uh, on the horizon, one this year, one next year, and then the defence of their fifty over World Cup um, in twenty twenty three. I mean, <laughs> this is a, a, a wonderful situation to be in really isn't it if you're um Owen Morgan who's the the regular captain or or, or just um just Chris Silverwood kind of uh, who had to come back from his holiday to oversee that uh, that ODI series um but to see someone like like James Vince uh, who is ha- a world cup winner and who has um has long been sort of a um <clears throat> a player held up as having having the uh, the class for uh, the highest level but never never quite managed to do it i mean that that was um a, a very special moment for him in in the third ODI, and to see England, you know, the the, the the sort of bunch of irregulars pull off their sixth highest chase in the format. Um, in five six years ago, they'd never chased that many three hundred and thirty in an ODI. Now it's, well, it's somewhere down the list. Still quite impressive. Um, they were what one hundred one hundred and fifty for, for for five something like that, and uh, but they just they just keep <laughs> they just keep coming at you. Um, I mean, it was it was quite remarkable to watch. It really was. I mean, it was set, you know, it's only set by Phil Salt, who, who you know looks pound for pound as the the most obvious sort of Jason Roy clone that England have got. I mean, <laughs> he's he's unsubtle to the point of you know brick in the face. But you know, if you want someone just to just a tee off for the word go, uh, he's your man, and and he he did it wonderfully. But yeah, you're right. James Vince was was the story of of that chase. I mean, it brought to mind. Um, Mark Ramprakash's century uh, 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 in Barbados, you know, that not just the clear euphoria that the man himself felt, but the but this mass sort of overwhelming joy that was felt by 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 the people in the stands and also in the dressing room as well. You know, I don't think their stories are particularly similar in that I don't think uh, Vince's failures to convert and, and make his big score have been anything like the, the sort of clear sort of mental block that, that Ramps had in converting his huge prowess on, on the county stage to international stage. I think he's, broadly speaking, he's, he's just done what Vince does, which is look a look million dollars and then play the wrong shot too often or or get a ball of a century from Mitchell Stark or something like that or get run out for the 83, which, you know, <laughs> it's changed, changed the course of the Ashes, clearly. You know, he's, he has done it. He has produced gloriously fluent innings before, but but this was the first time, of course, he got the three figures and, and in such a moment as well, just to chase down a... a, a a record score like that in those circumstances 
as, as a frankly a senior player as well. I mean, that, that's the other thing not to, not to forget. I mean, going into that series, Ben Stokes had 98 caps, I believe. I think the rest of the team had 26 between them. And no one had more than, I think, Vincent Milan both had five, I think, from memory. So, you know, he was he was clearly, you know, as a World Cup winner as well, clearly, you know, he was one of the lieutenants of that side. And and to come come good in the way he did, died that chase from a pretty sticky situation, bear in mind as well. Five down for not very many, a long way to go. Took him pretty much to the to the brink, uh, and then you know England's absurdly long tail. Even when it's a c-string side, they still managed to have an absurdly long tail with Brighton cars and and Overton is still there uh, as very handy handy biffers lower down. Um, it was wonderful. It, it really was encouraging. I mean, the only only downside, of course, is that I mean it's hardly a downside. I mean, you look at the way that, uh, that that Simpson, for instance, was sitting up on the balcony at Lords, just drinking it all in, pretty much accepting that this my career is not going to get better than this. Uh, but, you know, he's got his moment now. He's got his cap. He's got his, his pass in the winnings, a 3-0 winning team. And uh, and he is one of several in that side. He probably won't play again, um, which is sad for them in the one hand, but better to have loved and lost and all that. Um, it, it, was, it was a lovely story and uh, very, very pleased to have been able to watch it. Yes, um, it's probably uh, probably fair to say Pakistan uh, were, were, were caught a little bit cold. Um, Matt, having uh, sort of had to cope with uh, acclimatising in their bubble up in Derby again, um, <clears throat> and and so on. Uh, the, uh, the T20s have subsequently been more of a contest. Um, one win apiece in the three match series. Uh, England England got. Um, uh, their fetish for chasing, they, they got a, a bit of a, a beating uh, in the end there at Trent Bridge uh, in the first match. Um, Baba Azam and Mohamed Rizwan, uh, well, Baba had warmed up for it, I suppose, as you, you touched on uh, with his, his 158, um, uh, was it at, uh, at Edgbaston? Um, but the two of them went to town on, on England's bowling and, and then in the end that, that was too much for their um, gun batting order, a chase of 230-odd in 20 overs. Yeah, I thought that, that was actually a really one of one of the best T20 internationals I can remember for a while, despite the fact it ended up being, um, you know, a 30 odd run defeat for England because of the fact that it was still alive for quite a long time. And also just how extreme the conditions are uh, means that, you know, there's a there's a typical sort of idea that when you have those really high scoring T20s that it just becomes, you know, a bowler just becomes a bowling machine and, uh, every ball's going out of the park, so you can't do anything. I think what you actually saw throughout that game was how important uh, bowlers are in, in that sort of game. You saw, I think, Shahina Freedy got man of the match, uh, and uh, Mohamed Hasnain bowled, I think, I think he took three for 28 or something like that. Uh, maybe it was two for 28 from his four overs, which mm. was a, a match-winning spell in the context of a, a T20 with 430-something runs in it. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a really interesting game and England have probably learned quite a bit from this series. Um, I think they have some really tough calls um, to make heading into the, for both the squad and the sort of starting 11 going into the T20 World Cup later this year. Um, but I think, you know, the classic cliche is they, they're probably good problems to have um, because they, you know, the fringe guys like Livingston, for example, Moeen has been on the fringes, but has performed. Um, Parkinson's done well. Mahmood and David Willey have done pretty well. Uh, basically, everyone who's come into the team in this series uh, who wouldn't 
necessarily have been in the starting eleven has done well enough that they've pitched a, a very strong case. Um, if you look at the, the Trent Bridge game, I think was very interesting. Showed the sort of uh, different ways to skin a cat almost and how you approach T20 batting because you had Pakistan didn't hit a six until the 11th or 12th over. They were 80 for none after 10. And then because of the platform that had been set, it meant that the entire middle order could tee off from the first ball they faced um, and did really well. Um, I think they, I think they, yeah, they added what 150 odd in the last 10 overs, which is remarkable really. Whereas England went, England were always going to go gung-ho from the top uh, and kept going gung-ho, as we saw from Livingston, even when they uh, lost three wickets inside five overs. So it's a really interesting sort of tactical contrast, I thought, between the two teams. Uh, and then on on Sunday, we saw, yeah, England, I think, probably adapted to the conditions a bit quicker. I think Pakistan maybe should have bowled another over or two of spin, try and found a, a bit of part-time stuff from Fakhar or Hafiz at some point. Um Whereas England's, yeah, really em embraced the, the spin to win idea in the middle overs, Bob, more spin than they ever have before in a T20 international. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it looks as though uh, if they come up on a, against the Dust Bowl at some point in the UAE, come that World Cup in October, then uh, they're probably in a slightly better spot than maybe they thought at one point, because I don't necessarily think that would be England's favoured type of pitch, but I think they, they have the, the squad uh, to be able to uh, adapt to it and adjust to it. Mm. Um, you you um, wrote during the series about um, Liam Livingston, obviously in that run fest at, at uh, Trent Bridge, he, he just pulled off the, the small feet of a, a, the fastest uh, 100, international 100 by an Englishman, I think, uh, 42 balls. Um, <clears throat> Miller, we then, we then saw him... Um, not quite going uh, to the same uh, uh, levels of attainment uh, at Headingley, but he did <laughs> pop the ball fully over the um, the football stand and onto the rugby pitch uh, <laughs> on the way to his sort of 38 or whatever it was. Um, and as as Matt sort of um, put it, uh, he's the ideal sort of player for England to be calling on at this stage in their um, planning for a, for a World Cup. He, he can bat at the top of the order. He can bat in the middle order. Um, he ab absolutely smashes it, as, as those two innings would attest. Uh, and he can bowl off spin and leg spin, and he's a great fielder. <laughs> so, yeah. don't need to like that. Well, well isn't it? And, and he's come a long way that? since that uh, since he first uh, got capped in 2017 in this format. Well, he did. I mean, that, that the, I remember those two innings. Uh, they, they were just... He just looked... Callow. He just looked uh, looked a fish out of the water. He he really seemed overawed by the occasion. Not a bit of it this time around. He's absolutely gunning for that opportunity. And at that six, my God, <laughs> I think it was. I think it's a. I think someone said it was measured about 122 meters. Which I mean, it doesn't sound a lot when you look like that. But the, but the the height, the trajectory of it was was absolutely awe-inspiring. I mean, you you've seen long sixes go flat or long sixes go really high. This one was high and long. And you know the trajectory I reckon would have cleared the Lord's Pavilion. It was it was that sort of a hit. You know, it it landed it cleared the roof of a pretty high stand, a new stand at Eddingley. Lands on the rugby pitch. Uh, these rhinos left the side door open for them to go and get it. But uh, uh, but they, it, it it was an extraordinary display. And and also you know going back to you know, the versatility you talked about, you do wonder whether whether Livingston's emergence has probably finally completely killed off any any prospect of Joe Root getting a getting a late call up for the World T20 because Root, let's not forget, one of the one of the main reasons why Root would have been in the frame was for his his ability to bowl spin, his his ability to be that that guy who could pop up and you know bag two two West Indians in the first over of a final because he because he's he he could be relied on to land on a length. 
if you've got if you've got Moeen uh, trusted again to be to be a gun uh, sort of CSK style floating gun who can bolt and spin and got Livingston bolt and spin. You've obviously got Parkinson and Rashid as well as options. It seems like England do have do have the, the depth to, uh, as Matt was saying, to, to to cover off areas that they probably would have been blind spots previously. Um, and also the way we saw that that second match where England managed <laughs> to get bowled out for two hundred and nineteen point five overs, which is which is so so England. That's absolutely incredible. But again, it it just, it just shows the the willingness to buy into the collective, the, the recognition that, you know, smashing as Moeen Ali did 36 from 16 is absolutely perfect. Never mind the fact he didn't get, didn't get 50. He just he just whacked it as hard as he could for as long as he could. And when he stopped whacking it, someone else comes in and whacks it. And someone else whacked it. And then you still got David Willey coming in to whack it. It was it it, it works as, as as a policy. You, you don't need guys who are gonna who are gonna anchor and nerdle and nudge in the way that Roots did in that previous tournament to wonderful effect. Let's not let's not deride him, but at the same time, if this is the way England are going, pedal to the metal and trust in the fact that they, because they bat all the way down the order, you might as well use all your batsmen. Uh, I think uh, I think there's probably a lot of merit in that. And um, yeah, they've got a huge problem coming up when 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 everyone's fit and firing because got to fit Stokes back in there somehow. Morgan dropped himself the other day. Butler's been unfit. Bairstow's been dropped down to number six. Gregory's been um, fitting at number seven, but clearly he's he's just a placeholder. Um, where do we go? <laughs> They've got so many players to try and chew on in, but as, as Matt said, good problems to have. Yeah, and and uh, I suppose uh, T20 or often can be, can be a, about who's who's in the best form. Uh, we will be sort of having these conversations all through the <clears throat> tours of Bangladesh and Pakistan. Uh, Matt ahead of the the tournament. Um, I won't ask you to get into to David Milan's place in the side again today, but it was in- interesting to see Moeen come up the order and, and do um, to play almost the carbon uh, a carbon opposite. If that that's not an expression, <laughs> is it? But, <laughs> the, uh, the starkly different kind of innings to, to that which um, Milan tends to play. Uh, yeah, obviously Ben Stokes is another uh, factor in there, and and as um, Miller mentioned, uh, Owen Morgan dropped himself for this second match. Um, Partly, perhaps that you know, Joss Butler's been injured. Um, important to get him back in, back you know, some some game time uh, uh, and all that sort of thing. And it and it's so, it, you know, it, it was a, perhaps an easier decision for the captain to just say, "I'll I'll sit sit this one out." We have seen Morgan do that sort of thing in the past when he's you know a bit like, "Well, I'm, I'm not so fussed today. I'll <laughs> I'll just sit in the sit in the um, the dugout with my floppy on." Um, but his form is a, is a little bit of a concern, or probably not to the man himself. But you know, from from the outside, um, it's going to be one of those questions, uh, and up and until the point he he scores a few runs uh, uh, on one of those those tours in the winter um, ahead of the tournament in the winter. Yeah, it's quite. I was just thinking actually about Morgan's schedule. It's quite strange. I, I was as much surprised um, that he left himself out because of the fact that he doesn't actually have that much cricket to play before the World Cup as much as anything else, because. You know, whether or not he plays tomorrow, we don't know as yet. Um, he'll play, you know, between eight and ten games in the hundred based on uh, how his team, London Spirit, get on. Then uh, Middlesex didn't qualify for the quarters of the blast. So I, I assume he won't be playing in the sort of um, the, the Division Three of the county championship towards the end of the season. So maybe he'll have a month or so off um, just to sort of recharge the batteries, all that sort of thing. Uh, between sort of mid-August and mid-September and then yeah flies to uh, what do they have I think three ODIs three T20Is in Bangladesh and then two ODI, two T20Is sorry in 
Pakistan. So that's, you know, a handful of white ball games um, leading into a major tournament. And yeah, I think he, he, I think it probably shows that he's not that concerned. Uh, the fact that he was happy to leave himself out. Uh, you know, I, I, I actually asked Paul Collingwood on the day before when we didn't know he was going to leave himself out, um, whether, whether he was at all concerned um, about Morgan's form. And he basically said, look, um, he, he's someone who his, his method of getting himself back into form is going to be to hit himself into form, try and score boundaries, hope that there's a, a shot where everything clicks. Um, so he's not someone who's going to potentially, you know, chew up 30 balls, trying to eke out 35 or 40 uh, and, and get himself back into form that way. He's just going to get on with it and try and hit boundaries, which I, I think is probably fair. Um, and I, I find it pretty unlikely that England would go into a, uh, World Cup match without Morgan unless he's in truly dire form just given the impact he has on the, the group and the environment and all that sort of thing the players all wax lyrical about him all the time um, but yeah it, it, it's a really interesting conundrum that they have as to who goes into that starting 11. I actually I think they probably had quite a clear idea coming into this summer what the World Cup starting 11 was and I think it, it's, got, it's got a lot murkier since <laughs> because I think it would have been pretty simple it would have gone uh, you know, Roy Butler, Milan, Bairstow, Morgan Stokes, one of Sam Curran or Moeen, depending on whether the pitch bins, Jordan, Wood, Archer, Rashid, that's 11, sorted. Now, there are all sorts of questions because, you know, how, how do you fit Livingston in? I assume you have to. Uh, can you play a side where both Moeen and Sam Curran play? Uh, where does Tom Curran fit into all of this? Does he get in the squad? Does David Willey play for the new ball? Chris Wokes did really well with the new ball in his first T20 eyes for ages. You've got Mahmood to think about. Um, does Parkinson go as backup spinner? Does he go with Dawson? There are all sorts of questions. Um, but I, I suppose the, the flip side of that is what we've probably seen from the last month or so, or even two weeks, uh, is that having a huge number of options to pick from is uh, probably going to come in quite useful because England, are, you know, how many times this summer have they had uh, a, a full strength white ball team available. I don't think any, uh, because one of Stokes, Butler, and Archer, well, Archer's been injured throughout. So having that having that depth of talent, as we saw in the Pakistan ODI, is obviously a, a pretty um, extreme example. But I think that proves that it's not necessarily the worst thing if they don't uh, have a, a nailed on starting 11 for that first game and can be very flexible up until the last minute and have tried a lot of people in a lot of different roles. Uh, and hopefully have that sort of depth and wealth of experience that means um if if something happens like you know uh butler does his hamstring on the the morning of the first group match or uh you know wood is withdrawn at the last minute because he needs to focus on ashes prep or something like that um then they have loads of options that they can fall back on um and are still a, a very strong team and will probably still go into that world cup as i reckon second or third favorites behind india and possibly west indies but it has it has been extraordinary though, isn't it? Just just watching watching the team essentially without Morgan in the last few weeks with what with the, with the with Ben's babes and then then this last game, he's he's basically created a self driving car. Yeah. He's, he, he's, <laughs> he's 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 he's, he's he, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say he's made himself obsolete, but he's done the next best thing, which is create so many players who are moulded in his vision that that he it doesn't ha doesn't necessarily matter. He's still probably the best tactician that England have got. But I thought Stokes actually captained the side incredibly well when uh, when given the opportunity, you know, lining up four slips, why not? You know, just go for the jugular when you've when you got the opportunity. And uh, it, it, it's not the same, but it, it reminds me of the last, 
in fact, it's not remotely the same. I don't even know why I'm going down this route. I'm going to go there anyway. Um, is it when, a carbon opposite? Uh, not, ex- well, not exactly. <laughs> but it was uh, when Australia instigated their their test revolution in the 1980s. Basically, it was, it was Alan Border. That scene was built in the vision of Alan Border from the absolute ruin of the of, of the of the well, 84 essentially was when it began. Rock bottom in the 1967 ashes. Border essentially drags a team by the scruff of the neck, says, right, we're not going to accept this rubbish style anymore. We are going to become world beaters. Lo and behold, they did. But by the time it got to the final years of Bora's career, he basically was obsolete. He, he had no place in the side that he had built because there were so many other players coming through who were hungrier, had more to prove, were, were better ultimately because Border was, you know, was a magnificent beast of a of an obdurate blocker but he had two shots essentially so you might as well, might as well see, see the stage to, to guys who, who, who could give you more um i don't think it's the same but i do think when you have been so integral in a root and branch reform of a system if it gets to that point whereby the system is working so well that basically going to sit back and my job is done and just take the credit for it frankly it, i i think morgan could quite happily be on the sidelines smoking a big cigar by now and thinking, you know what, the, the boys are doing fine here. They don't need me on the pitch. I, I, I still happen to think he's worth his place when he's informed because few guys smoke the ball with more consistency when he starts smoking it. Probably he hasn't for a while. So uh, um, who knows? But I don't know. I thought I'd leave that one out there. It, 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 it's, not, it's not an ordinary situation. What I'm saying. He, he has done extraordinary things in dragging this white ball team to where it, where it is, so he basically gets to, gets to decide his terms of, of of moving on. But you know, he he may have taken taken stock in the last few weeks and thought, you know what, this team has moved on quicker than I thought. But like Nasser Hussain uh, with Michael Vaughan suddenly suddenly uh, took over in two thousand three. You know, life life changes quickly. Come <laughs> we shall see. Well, he, he certainly remains the, the godfather in the background, pulling the strings. Uh, you would think. Well, we we kind of all thought he might um, hang up hang up the bad after the world the World Cup, didn't we? The fifty over World Cup, but um, here we are. Um, and and <clears throat> just on England's World Cup preparation, it, it, it's it's um, quite a lot different to just uh, picking uh, Michael Lumman and uh, um, Craig Keysworth because they battered the first choice around in a, in a one off game in. <laughs> In Dubai, isn't it beforehand? But uh, yes, good problems to have. Um, I think that's that's um, a good place to leave it. Um, to the hundred, then <clears throat> it feels like it's been a hundred years in the making, um, like the movie Avatar, but with a bigger budget. <laughs> the naysayers can still be heard in the background, but they're about to get drowned out by the in-house DJs. Every ball matters, Miller. But as we're about to find out, some balls matter more than others. Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I I literally don't know what to say at this moment. I literally do not know what to say. Um, it may it may have it may not escape people's notice that ESPN Cricket though is a specialist cricket website, and this tournament, the hundred, <laughs> is very definitively not a specialist cricket tournament. This is a generalist cricket tournament. This is a tournament for people who don't like cricket, according to the ECB, and hopefully it's a tournament for people who do like cricket because I'm looking at the the list of list of what's left of the names after COVID and. There are still some incredibly good names, some incredibly good matchups, some incredibly good fun to be had. But this is not cricket as we know it, and therefore I literally don't know how to preview it. I, I'm, I, I'm just going to sit back, watch, hope that it goes well. Because you know, let's 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 not beat around the bush here. 
the hundred has to succeed. The hundred is the, as George wrote magnificently in a piece last week, the hundred is the ECB's solution to problems that it created when it threw atomic kitten out into the rubbish bin 18 years ago, or more to the point when it following year, so 17 years ago. So they've been the atomic kitten before they signed the deal to um, to send cricket onto onto terrestrial TV, which is basically ground zero for 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 this position. You end up with a generation who's not who that has not grown up with cricket, washing around their their brains in in their peripheral vision at all times, whether or not they liked it or not. Um, so it's a completely different different kind of vision. I understand that it, that something had to be done to address that. Whether this is the answer is the thing we're going to discover this month. But frankly, it has to be the answer because you know. We harked about harked on about the, the Sri Lanka series in the last pod, but you know we can't have a situation whereby the height of the summer is dominated by a tournament so dreary that you know the Tour de France, Wimbledon, um, Euros is going on, and they are taking all of the all of the the top notes, the, the the big publicity, the major moment. This is this is sport in the summer, and then you have cricket dribbling along on the undercar because you've got a rubbish overseas team that's. Uh, in a in a failing form of the game, frankly, because let's face it, we we saw last summer we, cricket was lucky to have two teams that were willing to come over in West Indies and Pakistan because you know they were desperate. They needed England's blessing, just as England needed India's blessing, and and Australia and England and India drive the, the cricket economy. We know that, we understand that's why you know five test series between those three happen, two test series between everyone else happen. Um, these are these are the reasons why the hundred has to be a success because England have got to tr- control its own narrative going forward. It's got to have a, a tournament you can rely on. I saw some quotes um, from Sanjay Patel at the weekend. I think it was Simon Wild saying it will make 50, 50 million profit and thirty nine million of that will go back into the, paying the players. So there could be ten million profit in its first year. Is what what they're saying? I, mean, I bloody hope so. I mean, you know, it, that would be that be magnificent. That would be a huge win if they, if if. If this tournament can come out the other end with a vaguely competent set of results, some good entertainment in between miles, decent, decent numbers in the stands, and not have a big fat red in the box at the end uh, on the bottom line, uh, that's, a, that's a success. That's all we can hope for at this stage. Beyond that, I have absolutely no opinion about the 100 whatsoever. I want it to succeed. I just don't know how to preview it. Uh, I'm just, I'm just going to sit back, watch do the ball by ball, go to a few games, say what I see, and hopefully it's going to be blow. My, hopefully it's going to blow my mind. I I, I really wanted to. Well, uh, you've been to see Crudes too. Uh, I presume you've got some Lego kicking around somewhere. I mean, you you've been <laughs> captured surely uh, by, <laughs> by the marketeers already. Um, yeah, well, I mean, okay. Look, I'm, I bang on about Atomic Kitten. I'm going I'm I'm to segue elsewhere now, just just briefly. <laughs> Now, now Please just so happens on, on on Wednesday, Iron Maiden are releasing a new album. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, not releasing it, but pre 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 ordering a new album. Now, the thing about thing is, I reckon that Iron Maiden has far more in common with traditional cricket fans than Jax Jones or or anything else. Basically, they've been they've been doing the same thing pretty much, <laughs> damn near fifty years. They basically sold <laughs> like, exactly the like same traditional cricket fans. <laughs> Traditional cricket fans turn up to test matches because they know what they're going to get and every time it's going to be subtly different. You know, someone's going to take some wickets here, but it's usually going to be the similar similar, similar characters are going to do similar things over the course of time. You're going to get to know them. I think there's an awful lot more 
synergy between that than there is between between the the, the various attempts to re reinvent the wheel. Um, I don't know. It's it, it, it strikes me that, that that you know evolving evolving your core product over time and making it relevant to modern audiences is surely the preferable way to go than than ripping up everything thinking you know what what we've got just doesn't work so let's start again and, and hope people like it i hope people like it genuinely i hope people like <laughs> it but there's absolutely no evidence that anyone's going to like it um, <laughs> and and that's the I'm, quote I'm, from I'm the worried. movie poster i'm scared uh, <laughs> i'm really scared sadly <laughs> and I hope it works. <laughs> sadly we've missed out on the iron maiden uh crossover um, I don't think it would work. There, there can't be maidens in the hundred. There are no overs. Um, but for the last week or so, um, Matt, we've been talking about, about COVID contingencies, um, overseas withdrawals, the struggle to win over hardcore fans. We've been talking about that for more than the last week. That's been the last couple of years. Um, <clears throat> what what does the tournament need to go right, and what would what will we broadly constitute a success? Do you think? Well, that, I think that's the that's the fifty million pound question, isn't it? Um, oh yeah, I feel I should put my George DeBell hat on and say that that <laughs> profit and loss is before you've paid the counties one point three million each or something like that. Anyway, is it as simple as you know four weeks of pretty good weather and something that looks vaguely like cricket on, on the BBC again and, and everyone's um, everyone's pretty chuffed? Yeah, I think that's a massive part of it. I think that the, I, I'm I, I think. COVID is a, is a genuine massive worry at this point, um, given what we've seen in the county game in the past few weeks. I think the past, you know, what, month or so in county cricket, I think it started with, you would get the dribs and drafts where you'd hear, you know, so-and-so is unavailable as a COVID precaution for Sunday's game and you'd not really think too much of it. Someone's been pinged on the app, whatever. Um, the past two weeks has been a complete uh, shift in tone where you've had, you know, I think Durham had with the first team where they had to sort of put out a statement reassuring everyone that a match was was uh, going to go ahead because half of their second team were self-isolating. Then uh, I think Sussex had eight players self-isolating. Kent have been playing the, their final blast group games with, I think, 17 players at one point self-isolating where they just roped in a whole load of club players. Derbyshire had two fixtures cancelled you're at the point where it's sort of sweeping through whole squads and you know much as the ECB have said well we, we can only be so strict and I you know you, you I think you've got to sit back and listen and admire their approach to um, you know players and, and staff's mental health after the, the summer we had last year with international teams being cooped up in bubbles despite that it does basically seem like the main COVID protocol is you know cross our fingers and hope that People don't get it, which is pretty, pretty terrifying, really. However, <laughs> many months deeper, you know, 16 months or whatever into the pandemic. And it, it basically seems to be a case of, yeah, you know, if you could not go to the pub and have a drink with your mates, that would be great. Um, but yeah, it's it, I think that's a that's a huge worry in the first place, because much as, um, it, you know, much as the squads have a, a, just about enough depth that if someone gets pinged on the morning of a match and, self-isolates and test negative, then that should be fine. It, it, the, the squads are 15, 16, 17 players, and it, they really can't afford to have half of that wiped out, draft in a whole load of um, players who, you know, weren't signed in the first place. Part of the raison d'etre of the tournament is, um, you know, it's high quality cricket, it's higher standard than county cricket in the blast, and that that will, would be lost if you lose half the, half the playing staff. Um, and, and you know that then decimates the county game and has all sorts of knock-on effects. So I think that's a major 
worry. I think, uh, as you say, weather is a big issue. I think you're possibly saved by the fact that you don't have, um, well, I think there are, there are a few sort of weekend double headers, but you don't have um, huge numbers of games on the same day. You, you know, you occasionally see, I think in the blast a couple of times we've seen sort of seven or eight no results on the same night, which is um, not so much of a problem when you have 100 plus games in the in the group stage, but in, in the 100 where there's 34 men's and women's games in the whole comp, if you were to have um, a, you know, a week of terrible weather across the country, then that would be a, a huge issue. Um, and even if the weather's not great, you don't, want, you don't really want a spectacle of people getting out the DLS score sheets, um, which have obviously <laughs> been adjusted from a new algorithm, also we're told to, uh, to cope in what, what, the, what the DLS par score is after 57 balls. Um, but yeah, no, it's, um, I think those two are huge. I think the standard of cricket does have to be good. I think it, it, one of the key things is going to be, you know, I think there's probably a lot of um, cricket fans who would fall, fall into the category of, uh, pretty cynical and skeptical about the whole thing, but might have tickets for one game, might be willing to turn on, uh, flick on the TV to watch a game or two, just out of curiosity and see what it's all about. And if they can turn on and sit back and watch Jason Roy or Liam Livingston or Moen Ali smash it everywhere, then I think they're very quickly going to be won over and say, oh, right, it's basically just T20. Um, you know, I, I can deal with this. If, if the standard of cricket isn't great, if for whatever reason I don't know the pitches are poor or if uh, enough people pull out that the standard really isn't that much different to um, your average blast game then I think people are going to be fairly cynical about it um, so I think that that's sort of three obvious things that it needs to go right I think there's, there's probably plenty more um, it, it would be a terrible I must admit though I must admit the one thing that I don't think worries me so much is the standard of the cricket yeah for two, I agree. for two reasons for two reasons one, I think this week has, this past week has shown, and we've talked, discussed it already, the depth of quality of white ball cricket in this country is such that we could have all manner of randoms producing <laughs> all manner of extraordinary innings. And so, you know, I mean, you know, Ben Cox could suddenly be the, the world beater one day or, or Richard Gleeson the next, or, you know, there could be heroes popping up everywhere. And secondly... Given that the tournament is not actually pitched at cricket fans, it doesn't actually matter. It's the same, it's the same principle as, as a director's cut in a movie. If you know if there's a great scene in a movie that doesn't make the final edit, it doesn't matter because you're not going to see it. You wouldn't have known what it was anyway. You, if you don't know who Ben Stokes is, it's not going to matter. You're not seeing it. So, you know, so long as... I think what really matters is sixes, to be perfectly honest. I think what really matters is the ball flies over the boundary as much as possible, as many games as possible. So pitches, yes. I think, you know, we've seen some absolute dogs of pitches in the early season uh, at various points in various grounds, not least at Cardiff. Let, let us hope, for the sake of this tournament, that that is because they've been, they've been saving their absolute gun pitches for this tournament, because that's going to matter. And that's one of the, the sort of the classic um, disconnects that the 100 has had all the way through, where it's this, uh, this sort of battle between the cricket itself really mattering and the cricket itself not mattering so much. I think we spoke, you know, best part of two years ago now after the draft where we were saying, you know, in a sense, teams almost pick their teams too well. And it would have been better if they'd had, um, you know, if, if someone had said, we're going to take a punt on a 41 year old Chris Gale and they... 36 or whatever he is, your old Dwayne Bravo, because those are guys that are universally recognisable in the way that Colin Ingram or Finn Allen or Adam Mill might not be. Um, and that's, the, you know, that's not to disparage those guys because they're, they're all extremely good T20 players. But, you know, you have definitely lost those star, the star names that were on board anyway due to COVID. 
Um, and yeah, um, it, I think it's similar with pitches because if teams are prepared, you know, for example, someone like Manchester Originals, if they copy what Lancashire do uh, in the blast, which is play on news pitches and spin to win, they might be the best team in the comp, but it might actually be really horrible to watch. Um, <laughs> and the idea, you know, you, you flick on BBC Two and you see Tom Hartley dotting up against a string of right-handers. It's great from a tactical point of view and you say well done to their, their bowling coach and their analyst and all this stuff, but it, it might not actually be the best practical. Yeah, I, I remember actually, it was, uh, I, I, I got tickets for some friends of mine in, in Abu Dhabi. I think it was, it was when England were out in Dubai in, uh, in uh, I think uh, Alan mentioned earlier, the, the, that, that 2029-10 series of brief stopover in Dubai where the England Lions routed England's main team <laughs> Uh, and thus changed the course of history. I got a couple of my friends who lived out in the, out in, out in the Middle East to, to into into one of the games where they had the, the misfortune of watching Joe Denley and Jonathan Trott <laughs> boggered around, miserably failing to, to make any impact on, on a match against Pakistan. It was basically the last time either of them featured a T20 until obviously Denley's heroic comeback. And then suddenly in come the big guns to start hooning sixes. But I, I remember sitting up in the press box just feeling embarrassed for... For you know, I, I sold this. You know, they weren't big, big cricket fans. I wanted them to have fun. I wanted it to be a spectacle. The stadium was half empty. The cricket was dire, and I thought, oh, that's a shame. You know, they, 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 they could have seen a spectacle. They could have seen the ball. They could have had a chance to catch the ball on the stand. You know, that is what's going to engage people in this tournament. The ball has got to fly to all parts, and I don't care how they make it happen. Just throw lob ups if, if, if all else fails. Just just get a lob ball on and get them honking it. Three hits into the stand, every ball. I, I, that that is what is going to make people engage in this. I'm afraid this um, uh, this is the the fundamental disconnect uh, because really, um, as we all know, watching cricket is not about having fun. Uh, it's about well, no, it's it about it's about England in the 90s you know it's about <laughs> grim endurance it's about grinning through the pain um, <laughs> it's about learning lessons about life uh, on, on, the, on the subject of players who have uh, are going to be left on the cutting room floor uh, as Melissa uh, neatly put it um, Matt even from the, the the draft that was redone earlier this year um, a list of a list of names who won't be now appearing uh, Kane Williamson Shaheen Afridi Glenn Maxwell Mohammed Amir Kagiso Rabada Kieran Pollard David Warner Jai Have we got Richardson, time for this? Uh, <laughs> Andre Roth. you go and make a cup of tea and come back but um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean I think uh, Sanjay Patel said last week on 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 the sort of briefing that um, this was still going to be a world-class tournament. Um, but the idea of, as you say, Colin Ingram or, or Glenn Phillips um, whacking it around uh, in front of the, the lights at the Oval wasn't quite uh, the plan that was sold. Yeah, and uh, well, to be honest, I think I think the men's competition is, is probably going to stand up a lot better than the women's in terms of, in terms mm. of those overseas withdrawals because, you know, you look at the women's, I think... I think um, it, for example, Birmingham Phoenix have lost Elise Perry and Sophie Devine. And mm -hmm. it, you look at some of the replacements that have been signed, you know, some, some of them are, again, you know, fairly canny signings. But um, there's there's quite a few, there's quite a few WBBL, um, you know, regulars who are uncapped or have a handful of caps for Australia back in the day. And they're, they're probably, you know, some, some of them are very good players, like, Laura Kimmins, for example, is you know a pretty good finisher and has done the business in the WBBL for a while. But in terms of that star power and the, the household names, and uh, you know, I was actually I, I spoke to Ishiguro about um, the hundred 
Um, he's obviously a big part of the BBC's coverage a couple of weeks ago and was listening back to that interview earlier today. And she was saying she thought one of the great things about um, the 100 for the women's competition was that the domestic players are, are going to have that access to the, um, you know, you hear men's players talk about in franchise leagues, how great it is to see so-and-so go about their business um, when, when you're playing in the PSL or the Big Bash or whatever. Um, and in the women's competition, the idea was that you would have exactly the same where you have all these Australian internationals come, but I think they've had 15 withdrawals in the women's comp. Uh, and when there's only 24 overseas slots, that's, that's some going. Um, so it's now hugely reliant on basically the handful of star names, almost all of which are um, India players and, and the occasional South African. Um, so, so I'm a little bit more concerned about the quality of cricket there. I think the crucial bit in the women's competition is going to be the facts. And the great thing is that all the England women players are available throughout. So there's not the sort of, um, will they, won't they, with the England's men have with the test series against India and whether they'll be able to play one game, two games, three games before having to go into a bubble for the India series. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do basically think that the standard will be really good for the reasons Miller's outlined uh, in the men's comp, I think. Actually, a lot of those sort of star names you've lost, like, you know, you look at Quinton de Kock coming in for Warner at Southern Brave, well, that, that's hardly a downgrade, let's be honest. Um, both both world-class opening batters, but in the women's comp, where you're suddenly going from world-beating Australians to uh, players who are available because they're not even in the squad, that's that's a massive change. Indeed. Um, well, so the, the, the one... One big step uh, forward for this this tournament. Uh, talking about the women's game, that will be the the opening night. That will be the um, the spectacle at the Oval. Um, uh, Miller, that's one of the more sort of laudable aspects of the whole idea. Uh, um, putting the women's game on a, on an equal pedestal to the men's, um, even if in terms of sort of budgets and so on, that doesn't that doesn't quite stand up. Um, is is that sort of is the combination of kind of um, uh, a, a bit more um, egalitarian, a bit more equality uh, in the planning and the thinking, uh, and the fact that it's going to be on the BBC, or a lot of it's going to be on the BBC, is going to be this combination of free-to-air exposure. Um, will that will that in, inevitably have a, a payoff? Just because people are going to be seeing these players, and, and, and perhaps they will never have done so before, but they're going to be there on BBC Two at prime time, uh, and it, it doesn't matter too much if Elise Perry isn't in the team. Well, they, they're going to be there somewhere. I think it's mostly red button, isn't it, for the women? But um, we'll, we'll gloss over that as well. As well, <laughs> but no, no, you're quite right. The, 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 the equality of opportunity here is is a huge part of the narrative. I mean, you know, there, there was a lot of. I remember looking at Charlotte Edwards's eyebrows when I asked her a question about the hundred many moons ago. I mean, they they told a story, even if her subsequent quotes didn't. And that was obviously <laughs> around the around the time the KSL was kiboshed because the KSL I thought was a very good tournament. It was, it was putting players on the map. It was an opportunity to to, to grow the game. Obviously, England's women have been going through this this ongoing process of professionalism for, for a decade or so now. So it felt like a like a weird weird move to get rid of something that seemed to be seemed to be succeeding. But I can see the logic. I genuinely can because you know certainly when it comes to the BBC, that summer that summer month the, the summer months on the BBC are Wimbledon essentially, and Wimbledon is an absolute phenomenon not least because it's got a men's and women's tournament that are, that are given absolutely equal billing. Uh, you know, you, Serena Williams is, is as big a star uh, as, as Andy Murray, uh, as Roger Federer. You know, it's, she, she's, she is absolutely front and centre of the summer narratives and the, and the casual summer narrative as well. These are 
you know, talking about fans who probably don't bother to tune in to watch Australian Open or the ATP Tour, but will be there front and centre with their strawberries and, and enjoying the spectacle of, 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 of Wimbledon. And so if that is the end game here, you've got this, this, this brand new blank canvas, equal teams with, with you know, equal prize money. Uh, we'll gloss over the, 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 the actual um, salaries, but uh, equal prize money at the end of it all. There's, there is, there's going to be a flag flown by the end of this tournament for, women, for, for women's cricket one way or the other. And that has got to, got to be a good thing because, you know, when it comes to participation, uh, you know, we're talking 50% uptick potentially there, aren't you? We're suddenly appealing to a whole gender that has basically marginalised by, by cricket's history. Uh, so that is huge opportunity. It is, I remember, uh, I've, I've quoted it a lot, but I remember when um, Tom Harrison described the, the 2017 World Cup win, Women's World Cup win, as the most disruptive moment in, uh, in the ECB's history. And he meant it entirely as a compliment. I think probably COVID has overtaken that now. But, you know, it was, it was entirely meant as a, good, <coughs> as a good thing that this has completely shaken up our thinking about what is possible for the sport. And the fact, you know, that was an amazing match, that final with the, with the host team and the biggest team, India, and a packed house at Lords, and everybody getting absolutely four square behind the action, regardless of the fact that, uh, you know, it's Anya Shrubs or Ron, James Anderson, people were completely engrossed in the moment, and she became a global star as a consequence of it. And that is the hope here, that there will be global stars emerging out of, out of the women's game that, that we've not known, known before. The only, I, I agree with Matt about the lack of star quality in, in the first instance, so, but I do worry that that's going to matter because I think certainly given the, where the women, uh, women's game has gone in recent years, the, 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 the uptick is significant, but equally you do, it is a position now where you've got likes of Elise Perry, uh, who is just head and shoulders above the next rank of, of, of star in sort of, in sort of recognize, recon, recognition. And I think that, that will be important, uh, not just for, the, um, for, for attracting the viewers in the first place, but the propagation of, of the standards across, across the board. It, you know, uh, it's not quite the same as a men's game. That, that depth of quality in the women's game isn't there yet. I think it will be in a few years' time. But a lot of these, a lot of these players are very young. And I think having senior players, senior established players who, who are proper icons within the women's game that absence is, 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 is a bit of a blow. But fortunately, as, as mentioned, a lot, a lot of the women's, uh, England women's team are going to be there. And that, that in itself is a good thing. Uh, I, I've got more hopes for the women's competition than men, doing it that way. I, I, I do think that there's, there's a real chance uh, for some good to come out of, of, of this, this equal, equal billing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they will be uh, kicking, kicking things off uh, in about 48 hours time, something like that on, on Wednesday night. Um, away from the, the hoopla and the overseas signings uh, and the VR holograms, uh, uh, the in-house DJs. I mean, Matt, there will be some cricket. Uh, <laughs> there will be some, uh, some, some, some things that we will kind of be interested in, the, 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 the nitty gritty of it, the technical side. Um, <clears throat> uh, the last week, the playing conditions were sort of finally, finally, finally confirmed, but we, we've been kind of getting to know what they will be uh, over the course of two years or whatever it is. But um, we we knew about tactical timeouts. Um, we knew about the uh, 
the non-striking batter going back to the non-striker's end if if a catch is taken and they've crossed. I'm waiting for this to happen in a game and, and the umpires to forget to enforce that uh, because you know that's just not how it's done throughout all of cricket. Um, but anyway, the, the bowler gets to always bowl at the new batsman, being the theory there. Um, we now know that umpires will hold up a white card to signal the second set of five. Obviously, it's, it's all over for the over. Um, and crucially, there's no obligation for the toss to take place in the middle. So, I mean, <laughs> the possibilities are endless there, I assume. Um, but, uh, Matt, do you, I mean, do you still expect it to feel like watching cricket by and large? Yeah, 100%. I think, um, I think it will look and feel a lot like T20. Um, you know, we, we, I think we've, we've seen enough brain-reduced T20s over the years to know that it, it doesn't fundamentally alter it if you lose a couple of overs. Um, and I think that's that's basically what we're going to be doing here. I think, it, you know, it's obviously going to look a bit different. Um, I think it will take everyone a couple of nights to adjust to the idea of a bowling change five balls into the over. Um, I think there are definitely going to be sort of... Um, tactical intricacies um you know i was speaking to andy flower last week who's coaching trent rockets and he was saying he expects it to sort of broadly look he's, he's coached in the t10 league as well as um all around the world in sort of t20 franchises and he's i think he said he expects it to look um much more like t20 than t10 uh which stacks up given the sort of number of number of balls available um i think the most interesting thing tactically is how teams are going to use those the, the option to well, 10 balls in a row, um, you know, in Flowers' example, I think he obviously has Rashid Khan and his squad and, um, you know, Rashid is sort of um, one of one of the best white ball bowlers in the world, arguably the best. And if he can uh, get on a bit of a roll from one end in the middle overs and uh, or middle balls and uh, <laughs> bowl, you know, bowl 20 out of 30 in a row and basically destroy a team's run chase, I think that's going to be good to watch. I think it probably... You know, maybe maybe adds a little um, probably adds a lot of pressure to the captains. Actually, I think the captaincy is going to be a really tough job, especially sort of just remembering how many balls people have left when you're some blocks of five, some multiples of ten, all this sort of thing. Um, but yeah, fundamentally, I think it'll it'll feel a lot like T20. Um, but th there will definitely be some trends that emerge. I would expect um stuff like that the fact that power play is slightly shorter as a as a proportion of um the game compared to a t20 uh the fact that you because of the fact you still have the same number of wickets with fewer balls you'd expect teams to go a bit harder you'd also expect teams maybe to attack a bit more with a new ball because early wickets are going to be more important all this sort of thing um but i think a lot of it is going to play out um it, yeah we're going to have to sort of wait and see how it plays out over the next few weeks um and yeah I, you know i think um I think there are some hopes that in the long run it will be a good thing in terms of stuff like uh, most international teams have often struggled to find people who can bat at four, five, and six because naturally what happens in the T20 league is the best players, once people work out they're the best players, slide up the order to try and face as many balls as possible. And obviously that can't happen when there's more of the best players in the team, if you see what I mean. So people are forced to bat four, five, and six and sort of become specialist finishers. I think that's worked pretty well with. You know, the West Indies, for example, in the CPL. Um, so someone like Nicholas Puran has spent his whole career in the middle order, whereas if he was in the blast, he would probably have been opening after five games of his career or something like that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we'll, we'll see various things like that play out over the course of uh, the competition. And, you know, as a sort of T20 nerd, I'm sure I'll be all over it. As for whether the, the casual viewer on BBC Two over T uh, <laughs> is, I, I highly doubt it. But um, I suppose the, the hope is that there's something in it for everyone. 
<laughs> yes. Pop, pop, pop quiz. Do you know who bowled the first ten ball over in a in a game of game of hundred cricket at a at one of the host venues? Uh, it wasn't you, was it? It was me. <laughs> it wasn't me. Yeah, you played in the. Was that a cricket writers club? Cricket writers at club. Lords, cricket writers club at Lords. Indeed, it was. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was about to ask, uh, you know, with your with your club cricketer hat on, what what you uh, felt about the prospect of bowling. Well, exactly. This, in a row. this actually is what, where where I was heading with that. <laughs> apart from the humble brag, but humble brag. But um, no. But the point point is, I I play a lot of this sort of cricket. I, I play in the Parks League in Victoria Park. Um, it's it basically because it's we're cramped for time because you know we all got busy lives and the sun tends to set when you get to the end of the season. Uh, we play um, 16 overs, uh, eight overs from one end at a time to speed things along. Um, you know that that's what's that 96 balls, isn't it? So you know, I, essentially, I've been playing 100 cricket in the park <laughs> for an awfully long time. I'm I'm no stranger to the fact that this is a format that can meet the needs of constrained time and constrained opportunity and and essentially feel like cricket at the end of end of your your thrash in the park so um i'm not i've never been opposed to the notion of 100 per se i i get the i get the point about time i really do i understand that, that you know the attention spans aren't what they used to be and and you expect people to sit down and and and, and watch mike afferton compile a uh, 185 <laughs> not out just save a test match he's not going to sell the game to younger viewers I get all that the one thing I just can't forgive about this whole process has been the way in which um, generations such as myself frankly um, I mean it's, the, it's over 50s in particular who've been who've been singled out as, as as the problem generation because frankly there are too many of them and there are too many cricket fans are that age but essentially it's people who have grown up with free to air cricket and then had it taken away from them 18 17, 18 years ago now we have we carried the flame for this for this sport for an awful long time. It's our kids who you're now appealing to to come and watch cricket. You know, hello, we've been here. We've been trying to make them like cricket. They, you know, <laughs> if you had made your product more attractive in the first place, or not just hidden it away from your fans in the first place, you know, it might have been easier to sell it back to us. And so to tell us that we're the problem is disingenuous and frankly rude, um, deeply ungrateful, and it it. it I know it has annoyed an awful lot of people, and it, it, you can't you can't just forgive that. I don't think. I don't think it, it it is right to expect people just to put aside the grievances. You know, we've talked about it as being cricket's Brexit, and it is cricket's Brexit in so many ways. It, is, it has been so divisive to this point that just expecting everyone just to get to get to the Freedom Day or whatever you want to call it, and here it is, like it, lump it. This is this is what you've got now. Back it or we're all doomed. It's not that simple. I do back it. I want us to succeed. But it doesn't mean I'm not really, really, really cross about the process that has gotten us to this point. And I don't mean just in the last three years. I mean, the whole process way back, you know, I mean, I've, as mentioned, I've, I've been, been, been one of the free-to-air survivors. But, you know, even more recently, the ECB was, was not a pleasant organisation for an awful long time when it came to trying to promote the game. When I when I worked for the cricket magazine, a test match sofa, which which was an attempt to try and broaden out the game and uh, and make it more accessible to to people who didn't necessarily like cricket but quite enjoyed bantering on telly, it got it got shut down. I got I got hauled out of a test match on the first day of the of the Ashes Test at Trent Bridge because we were promoting this this rival program that was going to under undermine audiences. There have been so many crass mistakes made along the way, so many attempts to to narrow the game 
and and just basically put it in a basket and 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 leave it to leave it to wither. That, that this just feels like a feels too late to be to be just sort of jollying everyone up and trying trying to trying to make it make it all good again. It's 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 such a complicated situation. I want it to succeed, and I know an awful lot of people of my generation who who have who have similar mixed feelings. But equally, I also know an awful lot of people who really, really, really are not going to forgive what's happened so far. And that, that worries me um, that, you know, schisms are not good. You end up, end, up, end up with a whole new audience who like this, but don't like the other cricket and they're the two you'll meet. Um, I'm not sure what that does for the overall product. And you're not just talking about George DeBell there, I'm assuming. No, I'm David Hobbs uh, as well. <laughs> but, you know, there, there, yeah. there, are, others, there are others, obviously. This is sort of a, a rugby union or rugby league moment, perhaps. It um, is a bit, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> culture wars are very much in vogue. So at least, you know, on that front, uh, it's going to be a success. Oh, uh, one last one last thing on, on the cricket, but rather than the, the social ramifications. Um, Matt, uh, the best squads, uh, the players you're, you're on the lookout for, um, your fancy 11 for, from from those involved in, in the 100, the ones that managed to make it through uh, quarantine and, and, and visa restrictions and so on. What, what are you most looking forward to seeing? And who do you, who do you uh, tip on the, on the down low to uh, carry it off in the men's and the women's? Oh, we could do an entire pod on this. Um, <laughs> That's right, we'll hide it here because then if you, if you get it wrong, no one will remember it. Yeah, no, if you get it right, we'll no, bring it back. Um, well, so uh, women's competition, I think uh, I, I'm very interested to see uh, Trent Rockets. I think they're the, they're the team that I'm most interested to see how they go, um, basically because I think uh, something that I think is probably undervalued quite a lot in uh, women's T20 generally and in leagues is uh, the ability to bat really, really deep. Um, and I think they probably have that squad basically because they've managed... I, I don't know how on earth they've managed to do this, but they've they've got three England all-rounders basically in Brunt, Siver, and Glenn, um, which means that you know they have a huge amount of batting depth built in. Um, and I, I think even you know uh, looking through the squad of people like uh, Sammy Joe Johnson, Heather Graham, who are both overseas players, Catherine Bryce is there, Rachel Priest will probably open the batting, et cetera, et cetera. I think they could have a hugely long batting lineup, which means that they they can tee off from. Or one, whereas a few other teams will be a lot more um, reliant on top order batters to go all the way through. Um, I think I'm particularly interested to see. Um, I think that, that this one of the key things for the women's competition will be um, if Shafali Verma can have a couple of innings like the ones we've seen uh, over the past few weeks uh, in uh, India Women's Series against England. I think um, you know she's absolutely box office basically, and I think she's one of the few players in the competition where people will be willing to. Uh, see that she's in and will instantly think, oh, I better switch on. Um, I better find out, you know, how I can watch this hidden away in the depth of, of Sky's YouTube or BBC iPlayer or whatever it might be. Um, so I think that, that um, yeah, that that's probably, I think Trent Rockets are maybe not necessarily the favourites, but um, probably my tip for the women's competition. Um, if I had to, I think there's a few a few strong squad. I think Manchester Original is pretty good. I think Southern Brave look pretty good. Uh, Overland Invincibles have a good good attack. Um, Birmingham Phoenix has a couple of young English bowlers in Wong and Arlett um, who have been been sort of ripping up trees in the women's domestic comp. Uh, so I think that would be a really interesting one to watch how they 
go against a, probably a slightly higher calibre of opening batter. Uh, Emma Lamb at Manchester Originals as well has been doing all sorts. Um, we can tell you you were interested in putting together the women's team by team profile here. Yeah, basically, yeah. Lamb's been brilliant. She's one you should um, you should sort of mark, mark down on your card and yep. tell everyone yep. you 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 hundred in the she... Charlotte Edwards Cup a few weeks ago. Yeah, weeks exactly. Ago, yeah. Um, so that I think that probably sort of covers it off for the women's. For the men's, I think Southern Brave are everyone's um, favourites. They have an unbelievable looking side all the way through, really, despite the fact they've lost Warner Stoinis and uh, Dre Russ due to various uh, travel complications, pullouts, blah, blah, blah. Um, they still look an outrageous side, especially because um, Joffa Archer has just returned from his elbow injury <laughs> and probably won't play any part in the first two tests against India because he's still building up workloads. Um, so they have not only him, but also Chris Jordan, uh, Tamar Mills, who's it's obviously someone to watch because Owen Morgan's highlighted him as someone who can make a late dash for the, the World Cup squad if he has a good 100. Uh, George Garton, who who's sort of has been one of the uh, one of the unfortunate ones with all this self isolation <laughs> going on, because you know he, he probably would have got a chance in that B squad, but for the fact he was called up to the uh, to the first one, um, then they have you know Decock, Conway, James Vince is in the form of his life, Alex Davies, they have uh, Colin de Grandin, they have a, a pretty unbelievable side all the way down. Um, aside from that, I think there are loads of players who, who could sort of announce themselves as superstars. Someone like Harry Brook, who's had a great blast for Yorkshire, um, could be brilliant in Northern Superchargers. Looking through the overseas, there's a few a few of the Kiwis, people like Lockie Ferguson, uh, Finn Allen, Glenn Phillips in particular, I'm a re really big fan of his. Uh, I think those guys could be... Basically, I think one of the key things, actually, that this tournament needs overall is to have uh, regular starts. I think what you want to avoid is the games where... Um, a lot of people hit 30s and a couple of people take one or two fours. I think it's it's really good news in the tournament that people are getting 50s, if people are um, you know, hitting numbers of sixes in a row, taking hat-tricks, all that sort of thing. I think you want headline performers in a competition like this um, so that people are drawn in by highlights, clips, uh, headlines, all that sort of thing. So I think um, it would be a really good thing for the competition if, uh, yeah, and, and if England's white ball players all uh, turn up and and put in a really good shift i think that would be a, a huge uh, a huge boon for the comp so yeah there's a there's a few uh, few names out there and i'm sure um we'll cover a lot of these these names and teams in a lot more depth over the next uh, four weeks you, well, you've made a, a good job of stirring up some excitement there um <laughs> Mila, i'll leave it to you for for predictions uh, opening night wise is, is it going to be sort of Brendan McCullum one five eight uh, <laughs> of the first uh, night of the IPL, or, or is it thinking of kind of breaking into new markets? Is it is it Diana Ross missing an open goal uh, <laughs> at the ninety four Football World Cup? Uh, I, I mean, I, I'd, I'd settle for that as long as it's memorable. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not going to get into predictions. I just don't. I don't. I don't. I just don't know what to predict. Other than I, other than I predict it's going to be decent weather for the first round. So that that's. Really, I mean, just looking up and looking up and down the, the, the squad list. So I mean, a couple of couple of things that I I'm interested in in just seeing what happens to not least Welsh fire. I think the whole narrative around Welsh fire is a fascinating one. The, the just you know Cardiff Cardiff being being this this strange adjunct in 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 the in the in the wider thinking and you know Somerset and Gloucestershire most miffed about being 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 omitted from the from from the big the big party but you know they've, they've, they've got they've got uh, ollie pope and they've got tom banton who's had a quiet summer and johnny bear so they you know they can they can they can see off a bit 
Uh, Manchester Originals can be fun. I mean, you know, Josh, Josh Butler, is, you know, get, get, him, get him going. And Joe Clark, of course, who's, who's one of those many guys, you know, for different reasons, he's, he's, been, he's had his scrapes over the years. But, you know, just there's, there's a stage here, a stage for a month for all of these players who don't get opportunities to feature regularly in, in the England reckoning to be on primetime TV and put on a show, frankly. And that, that's all we can hope for. Uh, and, you know, let's hope that, hope that hope the DJs do 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 good job in between wild and, 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 and everything else, all the razzmatazz around it works. But, you know, again, I go, I'll finish how it began with, you know, Tommy Kitten and all that. The one thing about that original T20 uh, Cup in, in 2003 was they, they laid on all the razzmatazz you could think of, you know, jacuzzis and speed dating and Tommy Kitten and vinyl and all the rest of it. And ultimately, none of it mattered. It was it was all very nice to have and got people a little bit interested in the first weeks. But frankly, all that matters is cricket, and all that is ever going to matter about cricket is cricket, and that is that is the fundamental here. If cricket is good, this tournament will be good. Um, let's hope that not too many teams get pinged and not too many not too many DLS scenarios get invoked. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how. How the various uh, dumbing down teams on, on on Sky and BBC managed to talk about DLS. I mean, it was it was pretty wince-inducing watching them trying to explain it in the uh, in that T20 against Sri Lanka. But uh, you know, there's a lot about cricket that isn't entirely simple. It it, it, it doesn't it does require even 100 balls. It requires an investment and 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 paying attention and and just getting involved. And let's let's hope that's what happens because. Um, uh, the, the game rests on this being a success, fundamentally. Um, so fingers crossed, and let's let's make it a good month, please. <laughs> Got very philosophical there. I think the the thing of, that matters about cricket is is the cricket. Um, I've been watching videos of uh, Phil Salt and and Matt Parkinson talk about their favourite songs. I don't think any of them have mentioned uh, Atomic Kitten thus far, so I don't know what that tells us. Um, <laughs> there is a lot going on, as you've as you've probably deduced um we haven't got time i don't think to go into england women beating uh, india 10-6 overall in in the multi-format series um the vitality blast quarterfinals have have also been decided with uh, the likes of hampshire and birmingham uh, squeezing through at the last last night uh, we've got an india test series to come for, for a small matter of of five test matches whilst whilst the hundred is, is ongoing. Uh, India are playing a county eleven this week up in Durham as part of their warm up warm ups. Um, but yes, I think we've we've probably done enough for one week. The hundred is here, uh, and as you can hear, we're scared. So settle down and grab your popcorn. Succeed or fail, it's going to be unmissable watching. We'll be back for more ahead of the India tests and to make sure Armageddon hasn't occurred in the meantime. Until then, my thanks to Miller and Matt, and to you all for tuning in to this Quick Chip podcast on ESPNQuickInfo.com.